Welcome to that Greaves and Rooney sports podcast. I'm Dan Greaves. I'm Martin Rooney. And today we have an exceptional Olympic athlete, Emily Diamond, on the pod. Yeah, it's exciting to... I'm happy to get another 400 metre runner, uh, some company on there, uh, another relay runner, one of my teammates, and uh, someone who's got the full the full collection, the full set of medals. So uh, it's brilliant to get her on, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be a great pod. Yeah, she's got bags of experience, um, and yeah, a lovely, lovely girl. So let's get to it. Rooney now kicks away. Commonwealth champion for discus dance. Rooney gets the gold. Medaled at the last four Paralympic Games. Martin Rooney ran a great race in lane one. Great character. Well done, Dan Greaves. Today we have a gem of an athlete on the pod. Olympic world, European and Commonwealth relay medalist Emily Diamond. Apologies for the tenuous link there. <laughs> but I thanks a lot. Well, that was good. That was probably was one right? of the best ones. Yeah, I, I, I almost I made you sound like a uh, comedian. I was like, you know, kind of clever. <laughs> like, like I've actually... never, never been called a gem before. It's never come up on one of the local sports paper headlines. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you're in a local okay. paper, does it pop up? Oh, uh, something like that. Um, I got to tick that box anyway. <laughs> <laughs> This is it. We, we are local at best. <laughs> Just two local news reporters. <laughs> How are you, Emily? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. All How's, good. You, you're in at home now, not in Loughborough. Yeah, no, Somerset. I'm home, home as opposed to training home. Is uh, is Somerset where you're from anyway, or is it um, somewhere you've migrated to? Or um, I'm from Bristol uh, originally, and then came down Somerset Way once I finished university. So I came down, um, ended up in Froome when my now husband um, and I left university and he got a job down here. So I've moved down this way. What's the, the normal routine? Uh, normal routine is I would sort of drive up to Loughborough on a Sunday evening and then be up in Loughborough for sort of training on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then I'd drive back down after training on a Wednesday because we have like a um, easy day on a Thursday so it means that I sort of have that it's nice to have that whole day pretty much at home as opposed to it just being taken up with travel and then I've got a couple of days back home before going back up but when we used to have relay training and things like that if that was at the weekend and I'd stay up in Loughborough for 10 days or two weeks or so um, but at the moment I'm doing like a weekly commute but it's not too bad did it um does it allow you to, like free time or is it just like do you have to like think of it as precious time when you're back at home um it's not no not too bad I think because I have kind of like four days uh, three days up in Loughborough which when I'm up in Loughborough I'm like training mode kind of thing and then come back and it's nice to have I've essentially got four days back home because I I used to drive up sort of early afternoon on a Sunday whereas now I have like an early tea and drive up after after dinner so I have pretty much well I had the whole of Sunday at home so I've got four days at home so by the time Sunday comes around it sort of doesn't feel like I'm sort of dragging myself back in the car to get back up to to Loughborough whereas if I'd been home for like two days and oh god I'm back on the road again kind of thing. How did you manage with lockdown where did you base yourself there with your coach or did you like did you spend most of your time at home and try and find a training base? Yeah so for lockdown one I was <laughs> not the sequel yeah <laughs> lockdown 1.0 I was at home home so um in Somerset uh Benke went back to Sweden so because at that time it was all sort of everything was so up in the air um it made sense for sort of everyone to be home 
because you didn't know how long it was going to last and all that sort of stuff so yeah I was down in Somerset and didn't have access to any track so I just was training on the road or school field or whatever I could get access to basically which wasn't a massive amount we had a few bits of equipment in our like garage gym because things like we was trying to change that into a gym when we moved house anyway but because it all sort of came around so quickly we hadn't prepared early enough to get all the equipment before everything sold out online yeah Um, so yeah lockdown round two we're slightly better prepared and can train and stuff so it's not as bad as the first time I don't know about how you found it like um just like mentally but it's it's kind of been such a, a strange time like did the adaption did you fall off a little bit of training um and did like I know you competed a couple of times um but how, like how did you how did you cope with that adaptation and did you come out of it differently and, and maybe like th- think about your training a little bit differently yeah I think for for me I was still training on like the normal so still training six days a week and all that sort of stuff but I think the mentally I wasn't fully there in my training knowing that they're probably I mean I was in the mindset that there wasn't going to be any races at all so I was kind of training just to give me something to do as opposed to training to try and run quick if that makes sense (laughs) so I was I think I, I don't think there was any sessions that I missed but I just did them just to give me something to do and then I wasn't going to race. And then once people started to race, I was sort of got the FOMO. <laughs> I wanted to do something. Um, and I didn't really want to go a whole year without not doing anything, even though I know I wasn't. Because the, the work we missed from lockdown is I missed all the like specific 400 stuff. So yeah, I could do a little say, bit like, of speed on the grass. Of, um, what kind of, I, I know it's, for us as athletes, it's like an interim phase, isn't it? Um, from kind of March, April time is when we start to compete and stuff. Like, What kind of phase of training did you miss and like, do you think um, you might do differently, you know, like next year and stuff in obviously preparing for the Olympics? Yeah, well, we, we missed all the, what I would call like specific 400 work. So the split fours, the quick 300s, the quick 250s, all that type of work, which is very diff- difficult to replicate on the grass, which is what I was using. So I could do longer runs um, and I could try and do shorter sprint hills, but again, you don't it's just the intensity on the grass just isn't the same as the track um so that's what I struggled with and I think that's what my training struggled the most with when we did get back on the track you could tell that I hadn't had that sort of work under my belt for the last two months um which is why it was difficult getting back into sort of race shape when I needed to it's fair to say that you are your strength is like racing it's uh it's the quicker stuff on the track the race pace kind of rhythm stuff that's kind of your your uh, bread and butter really isn't it like so to go and try and race oh, oh you went off to sweden didn't you and it was like okay i haven't really done any preparation for this i'm just like i'm in good shape but i'm not really like in race ready shape it's kind of yeah like, hurts isn't it exactly feeling. and it was like right well i could i can went into that race in sweden thinking okay i've done i did a split four the week before that before i confirmed that i was gonna go and ran ran all right i think i wasn't far off got some of my best better split four times mm. that sort of gives you the glimmer of hope but then I was like but also some of my sessions have been horrendous but so <laughs> I could run anything from a 52 low here to a 55 <laughs> and oh, I think wow. I ended up with like a 54 low which oh god it hurts but it, it wasn't totally 
uh, unexpected. But then my, my one in Poland was a bit better. I managed to get under the 53 barrier, which nice. I know I'd never thought I'd be so excited to run a sub 53. <laughs> <laughs> Normally yeah. I'd, be, I'd be disappointed with a 52.9, but oh God, I was so happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's those glimmers of hope, isn't it? It's like, oh, I've still got it. I've still got it in yeah. now. <laughs> I've not really yeah. been able to do it properly training wise, but I've still got something there. That's yeah, nice well, I think it was, I think it was like, right, well, if I can still run 52 off the last, the months that I've had, then there's no excuse. I should not be running 52 when I've had three months on a track. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's been a massive blessing having like uh, another year to prepare for an Olympics or is it something that maybe you felt like, right, this is it, I'm ready to go? I don't know if I'd call it a blessing. I think men, like mentally for me, I guess for for all of us right we're like so close to something we've been working on for so long Mm. and then all of a sudden that that target has been it's like it's like when you've got like a a cat or whatever right you bring the like treat close to them and just as they're about to get it you put you pull it away like a kid if they're trying to learn to crawl like that's how it felt (laughs) um for me anyway that you're so close to it then all of a sudden like no you've now got to wait a whole nother 18 months or whatever it was yeah Yeah. so I found that tough initially um but now it's like right it's just I've like a re-round a whole year and it's we're back at the end of 2019 okay I've thinking so that's how like I am now I don't know how you guys are I've definitely blessed I think uh, (laughs) I was so knackered after 2018 2019 I was kind of like I trained well in 2020, uh, going into 2020, but I feel like a completely different athlete. I feel fresher for having that time off during the summer. And like, I haven't felt fresh probably since I was like 25. So um, it's yeah. kind of, everything feels kind of easy still at the moment, which is quite nice. Even though it's all hard work, it's like, oh, I can do this. It's not like yeah. I'm dragging my ass out of bed to do it. Um, so well, that's yeah, the thing I, I was saying in the summer, I was like, right, well, for, for some athletes, like for you guys for, and for me, like we haven't had a summer off, really, because even if we've been injured, you still be training and still be doing rehab and coming back from that. So really, we're like, I haven't had a summer off for over a decade. So if you think, think of it like that, it's actually, mm-hmm. you think oh, that it can only be good in terms of coming back and being fresh and mentally and physically when you just finally have a little bit of a break for it's just a shame we weren't, <laughs> weren't able to party up on the beach and with cocktails and stuff. It's <laughs> not yeah. really our first proper summer off of no competitions and we're stuck inside for most of it or yeah. trying, to watch, trying to watch people coughing on us. Oh, gosh. About, I was barbecuing every bloody day. <laughs> I had a can in one hand and I had a, a skewer or whatever in the other hand. So it was great. It was a good time. <laughs> like a British summer. It was hot. It was like April was like, yeah, it was brilliant. I was more than happy with life. A scorcher. Yeah. <laughs> Not worrying about what you eat. I, I didn't. My, my weight told me that. <laughs> when, I start, <laughs> when I started going back into training, and I was like, ah, okay. Like, yeah, I didn't really stop, but I didn't really train hard. I was kind of just helping people out and stuff. I wasn't like keeping the weight off by training. It was just like, uh, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. But it is. It's still good. Should we, should we go back to your like um, Emily Diamond? the the beginning of the athlete where did that start so I guess for me when I was in school sport always had such a massive part of my life growing up I think both my parents are pretty sporty and my mum was an athlete herself when she was younger and my dad was a keen swimmer and I think because they were so keen on sport it sort of was a natural 
out of school activity for me and my brother so we almost did everything we could so I was doing hockey at school netball athletics tennis um, as much as I could fit in basically and eventually to be honest found tennis first um did that for like eight years I pretty I was doing like tennis training preschool when I was in primary school which looking back now was intense but I was yeah a pretty sort of intense tennis player back in then and then I think because I was doing that when I was young I got to 16 and was fed up with it Mm -hmm. I didn't like the behind the scenes um culture in tennis Okay. So um, moved across to athletics, basically. Was never like a super talented youngster in the sport in athletics. Didn't even know youth championships existed. And then found my way into the European junior team in 2009. And then kind of just went from there, really. But, so um, would you say that like kind of early dedication to sport, obviously, like you said, going before primary school, would you say that that kind of set your your presence and kind of sport in tone for like your future years? Yeah, a must must have done definitely because we were. I'd be on the tennis court at seven o'clock in the morning when I was near six, <laughs> which is which is mad. Yeah. Could you see over um, the net? <laughs> yeah. we, well, you only just because I was very. I didn't have my growth spurt until I was about year eight. Oh, okay. So yeah, I was very small on the court, but I think it. I think it taught me like. Um, it taught me how to be organized because I had to manage all my time with schoolwork and mm-hmm. sport and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was young, obviously parents have in that respect as well. But you, I, I always think that sport teaches you so much more than just how to play the sport. Like I had to deal with um, pressure at such a young age that mm-hmm. there's no doubt that that helps me in my like career now. And like it wasn't necessarily easy at the time, but. It definitely helped me in what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, we read so many like autobiographies, don't we, of like superstar athletes that have had that kind of input either from their parents or something. It's refreshing to know that you kind of then choose your, you know, got out of, I guess, a, a sport that maybe you didn't enjoy and then found something you really enjoyed and then excelled at it, you know, to an Olympic medalist level. That's, you know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I think like I only stopped enjoying tennis in like my last few years and my parents were never like pushy parents that made me yeah. go on the court like if I didn't want to train before school then like, they wouldn't make me do it but I just enjoyed doing it and my friends I was almost like I was two completely different people in the tennis world and the school world like in tennis I was really confident and outgoing and had a big group of friends and in school I was so shy and just had my like small little friendship group it's like I was two completely different people so I loved going to tennis training because that's really where all my friends and my social side was um so it was only once I started getting a little bit older and it got a little bit more serious and a bit bit more intense I was like yeah mum I'm not enjoying I don't (laughs) want to do this anymore I've had enough I've finished my tennis years are behind me (laughs) so I so I guess like um obviously you've gone doing tennis and then as soon as it got a little bit serious you kind of you didn't enjoy it as much and then you found the love for athletics like when I guess when did you kind of find the love for athletics and then realize and and was there a a pivotal moment in your career as an like a youngster that you really thought do you know what I can be good at this and did somebody instill confidence with you or was it just a natural progression that you went to an athletics club gained a group of friends enjoyed it like tennis but then realized it had an exceptional talent like how was how did the process work from say like 
like you say when you started at 16 to like junior or junior years so I think when I was in year seven it probably was I went along to like a talent ID day for athletics over at Bath Uni and they actually identified me as being a good 800 meter runner and placed me in an 800 meter group and I went along to a few sessions for that and I hated it I just (laughs) did not enjoy the training for 800 meters so that was one of the I stopped and then I sort of dabbled in a few schools across country. And then when I just, but I was still focusing on my tennis. Um, and then when I was sort of got to the point where I didn't think tennis was for me anymore, because I was, had been quite naturally good on the track or on cross country, it was kind of like the obvious one for me to switch to. So then I guess then my mum took me along to my local club and I joined the sprints group. We did a few sprints, but we also did some long jump. Um, my mum was a long jumper so she I sort of started in the long jump side of things and then my long jump the coach of the long jump group that I joined then thought you're probably going to be more of a sprinter so then passing on to the sprint coach and then just went from there really I did see the PB of 5.59 don't we worry that's already been noted (laughs) yeah I know I want to have another go but I'm too scared that I'm going to hurt myself so I'll get carried away Definitely not. Yeah, make that that retirement plan. Diamond in the long jump. Watch (laughs) watch your back, Jazz. Oh, is she's coming for you? (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the things that I thought about in lockdown. I was like, oh, should I just have some fun and just do something completely different? Like, let's scrap the four hundred this year. Let's do long jump. (laughs) Um, But no, I, I decided against it. Um, I don't know whether it's your ponytail, but I don't yeah. know if it keeps rubbing on your mic. That's all. That's it. So, yeah, coaches. So you, you moved into a sprint group. Um, at what point did you, like, how did your relationship with uh, Jared Deacon come about? That came about at Loughborough. Um, okay. So I joined Loughborough and I think he came down as a coach to Loughborough about three months or around December time, I think, when I joined in September. So I was with Tom Crick's group for about two months. And then when Jared came down, I moved across to him. And luckily, it just really worked. Mm -hmm. Um, At that time, I was still training mainly for 200 meters. And then Jared, obviously being an ex-400 meter runner himself, I think could see that I had a bit of 400 meter athlete talent in me and then gradually sort of progressed me from 200s to fours. Um, But that was like a few years process it wasn't sort of like right this year you're a 200 meter runner next year you're going to be a 400 runner he sort of did it over a few years for me it's quite an eclectic group uh that jared had at loughborough did you train with kilty yeah we did for a while it was kilty there was um hayley jones he had eugene maybe in that group i think so yeah um amy alcock was in our group for a little bit oh wow harriet Pryke we had uh, Laura Maddox, I think, was in our group for a little bit. We had quite a, a big group, and then some of the guys. Are, God, my memory is not gonna <laughs> not gonna help me out here. I can't remember everyone, but right. yeah, we did have quite a good little group. Mm. That's probably the biggest group that I've trained in. Well, ever really, because I, I left, ended up leaving Jared, and, and eventually went back to Jared several years later. But when I was back down south, and he was up in Scotland, so. We had a three-year long-distance coaching relationship, which was was interesting. Do you still have a good relationship with him? Yeah, I still speak to to Jared almost on a weekly basis. Um, He checks in, see how I'm getting on and and vice versa. And he came to my wedding. Um, So, yeah, I get on really well with him. I think it's nice to have that relationship with coaches that you worked with and obviously had a lot of success with and stuff. 
sometimes it's easy to just pile them off or whatever but it's actually like he's somebody you've obviously built a good rapport with it's important to have that as a, a sounding board yeah and he was really good actually when I sort of I think he could tell that something needed to change after three years of doing sort of long distance coaching and he was helping me work out who would be the best coach for me to go to and there was no like hard feelings or anything there and um, which is really good because it's always sort of that worry when you're trying to change coach of how they're going to take it and whether they're going to mind or or still want to yeah. chat to you or whatever but no it was it was good with the current coach Benke how how does he differ with his like kind of communication and relationship um as opposed to Jared um I know obviously we we, we get to see you daily um doing the grind and stuff but it's quite interesting to be quite interesting to know um you know just your relationship now with Benke now you've been with him for a couple of years um is it similar yeah. to Jared or is it or is it pr- pretty much a bit more working relationship or I'd say it's probably slightly more of a working relationship than I would have had with Jared. So I'd like, I'd message Benke if I'm training down here, obviously I'd let him know how my session's gone. I'd let him know what times I've run and how it was feeling and any updates that I'd have. Cause I still think it's important that you have some sort of personal relationship with your coach and it's not just completely coach athlete sort of, this is what I've done in training, see you tomorrow when I'm back at training kind of thing. So yeah, we we do still like chat and and talk other other um, bits and bobs too. But yeah, with Jared, sort of, he's got kids, so it's sort of see how the kids were. And then when we had um, when he was coaching me long distance, I would pop up there and stay with him and his family for a week or so. And yeah, yeah, we had like a a good sort of a good bond really, which yeah, it's, it's nice when you sort of find. A mate, I guess, as well, and yeah. as just having that coach relationship. Because sometimes, well, I I don't know about you, how you find it, but um, I know me and Martin have spoke about this in the past. You see them more than your family members at times, don't you? Coaches, you see them day in day out, sometimes every day, like five times, five times a week. And I, I know through uni, I barely saw my parents, but I saw Jim, my coach, like five times, five times a week, and and they do become almost like, like say, like family and and the closest of friends. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes when it's, I probably chat to my coach more than I chat to some of my family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I mean, they're probably thinking, oh God, um, stop messaging me with what times you've got or what what yeah. training you've been doing. Leave me alone. <laughs> Do you um do you see Jared as more of like a I suppose a mentor now? Like obviously he's ran the event himself, so he knows you, he knows you, he knows your training, he's been through a lot of experiences. Does he kind of come into that category now, you think? Yeah, I think so. And I think Jared was yeah, he he was definitely that sort of mentor, mentor sides, but sort of and it was good having a coach in the build up to an Olympics who had been there himself and yeah. who'd also been sort of on the other side of sort of not as one of say British Athletics favourites as well um, going into an Olympics so it was nice to have someone who understood and understood what it's like to compete at an Olympic Games and all that sort of stuff so yeah he's yeah definitely that sort of mentor as well as a coach as well as a friend as well. Do you you feel like we could do some more with more mentors within the sport like uh, senior athletes stepping up and being mentors or is that something that maybe like uh, for ex-athletes to do or uh, coaches or sports psychologists yeah I think it's one of those things that isn't really prominent in sport at the moment and I'm trying to like change that I'm trying to sort of set something up for the younger ones at the moment who <laughs> where they can have access to to athletes that are in the senior team and have been there themselves and can pass on that that information 
Um, Because really, I mean, now at least there's social media, which we didn't have when we were starting off in in the sport. So younger athletes can message the older ones on on social media. But then I guess not everyone's going to have the the courage to do that or want to do that. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a gap for that sort of mentor, mentee in in athletics. I think other sports are starting to do that a little bit more and we need to catch up with that. You do it a lot, Dan, don't you, with uh, you and Richard Whitehead within the Paralympic side of two old codgers coming towards the end of our career have realised that um, the younger ones can benefit from from a little bit of advice and a little bit of maybe um, a few stories and and just uh, kind of like what we've been trying to do is not a lot of athletes um, just recently um, would hold information back from say their performance managers or their point of contact to British athletics, which is a real shame. Um, so we're kind of trying to bridge that gap and doing it anonymously through a WhatsApp group. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, like you say, a mentorship, it takes that edge off of kind of authority as well, which I think most athletes really kind of sometimes fear because it might, as we've seen in the past, they think it might affect their funding and there might be less prone to coming forward with queries and quandaries because they think it might look bad also on their on their person so I guess yeah with the mentorship and me and Richard just trying to kind of bridge that gap where we don't mind saying it from an autonomy kind of perspective plus we've been in the game for quite a long while where some athletes might just feel a little bit bit more reserved about speaking up and, and it's just really to give the athletes a little a little bit of confidence in that situation which is quite awkward in a sense, isn't it? You know, when you're trying to talk to a performance manager and sometimes you think, oh, I don't want this to reflect badly on my person, but sometimes you have to say it, but other times you maybe, I think I've done it quite a few times where sometimes you think, oh, mm, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say it and then just let it let it pass. And and that's probably not the right right thing that British athletes really want to hear from athletes. <laughs> They'd prefer to have the feedback. I think myself but, and Emily are quite vocal in our relay meetings. <laughs> Yeah, I think we were probably the most vocal ones. <laughs> I get a, I'm quite happy Emily's there because she gives me backup and she agrees. With, well, most of the time you agree with me, so it's all good. So how how does it work with like you know younger athletes coming through on the relay camps? Would you then take them under their wing and or you know just give them a bit more advice, or would you just let them settle in? How does it work in that respect with relays? It's difficult because you you don't want to seem like you're patronising them because mm. you don't want to think oh this this new junior athlete has had a great sort of year or two in the junior ranks and now they're coming up and bridging that gap in the senior you don't want to sort of come along and be like hi come along this is how we do it this is what we do in the senior team like and they're thinking love but like I'm not that much slower than you <laughs> um, so yeah I mean we're obviously there to to help them and guide them should they need it but it's really, yeah. I wouldn't say sort of we go out to them and be like oh do you want this information? But I think yeah. some some coaches come along too and they find it quite interesting as well mm-hmm. to hear our experiences when we've been in sort of the team for a, a few years now and sort of like, okay, yeah, this is what's being said, but the reality is potentially not quite the same. It's good to I have you like guys on that side. Yeah, I feel like we, we're trying to, I suppose, lead by example, but like if we can just get as many people in, involved in the meetings it don't even have to be like 400 meter runners you know it's like i'd like to see some 200 meter runners coming like obviously emily came from a 200 meter background and um in the men's event if you're a young 200 meter runner you're kind of in the wrong event because the top guys are looking to win medals at olympics and there's no spaces there there's no opportunities there's no future career really 
in the 200. So you got to look at the 400. But I think we're just trying to, I think we just kind of go in there and try and get everybody involved, don't we? Just like, yeah. to show like it means a lot to win medals. And uh, obviously you've got the full set, big dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the other things like that we, we try and point out. Like obviously everyone has their individual goals and and aims but unless you're one of the very chosen few there's more medal opportunities in the relay like I wouldn't have a full set of medals if I wasn't involved in the relay and I still still means I have my individual goals and I still want to be an individual Olympic athlete and do as best as I can in that but there's no harm and I wouldn't shy away from the relay because that's where I've I've won my medals Um, and I think trying to get that across to everyone is can be the most challenging thing and the most yeah. frustrating thing. I think the last pod, yeah. Well, I mean, in the last oh, meeting, right. I think uh, relay meeting, we were talking about like um, the joy of standing on the podium. It's like um, it's better than finishing sixth, seventh, or eighth. You know, what I mean, like uh, it's 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 fun. Like, obviously, we, we I'm probably the the most vocal on it. Like in a sense, I feel like a medal's a medal. It doesn't matter how my my Olympic medal, your Olympic medal. It's exactly the same as an individual medalist on that team. It's just like... Well, you know, um, one thing that stuck with me is it was the night before our relay final in, in Rio and the 4 by one girls had just won their medal. And I was sat with Stephen mm-hmm. Maguire um, and he, he was saying to me, look, I'm like, you can go and get this medal tomorrow. Mm-hmm. A relay medal is a medal. Stephen Redgrave has got medals and parts of a team you wouldn't ever think Steve Redgrave has not got an Olympic medal because he hasn't done that individually yeah you've got a medal as part of a team that's an Olympic medal the hockey girls are Olympic champions it's no less precious because yeah. they've got it as a team it's a it's a medal and and that like stuck to me completely definitely um, yeah absolutely well that's a uh, a great link to uh talking about your Olympic experience there <laughs> <laughs> I mean um I guess first of all we want to know kind of what I well, personally want to know, like your experience going, yeah, like the holding camp and, and just kind of talk us through everything leading up to that medal winning moment. Well, I, th- I think like that year for me was a massive breakthrough year. Yeah. I'd run, I don't, before that year, I think I'd only run sub 52 once. And that was just a 51.9 a couple of years before, uh, just before the Commonwealth Games, because I was injured the whole year before, before Rio. So I went from sort of running 51 seconds once to suddenly running a 51-2 and mm. consistently running sort of mid-51s. And so I went into the Olympic trials that year super confident. I knew I knew my race plan like the back of my hand. And then going into to Rio itself, I think I was just on cloud nine. Like I was so excited to be like to be there because I went to to London, but as part of the squad and obviously never ran. So to then four years later be involved in Rio and not just like my my aim going into Rio was to make the relay team and then my psychologist was like well what about the individual and I was like oh well that would be nice. <laughs> like well yeah but yeah that'd be great but to me it was it was relay and then lo and behold I was sort of shot up in my my times and won the Olympic trials and, and dominated went the Olympic yeah. trials. I can still remember that race yeah, like, dominated it yeah, I think it was probably, as Jared said at the time, it's like if it had been better conditions that day, that would have been that t- my time I ran probably would have been about a second quicker yeah. um, because I just hit the race perfectly. I, mm. I just did exactly what I needed to do. And sort of I finished so strong because I ran the race 
exactly as I needed to. And then so because of that, that just boosts my confidence again going into Rio that I wasn't scared about the fact that it was an Olympics because I knew that I was in the best shape and that I could perform again at the Olympics. And then I think I ran like my second quickest time in the semifinals from lane one and I was I was chaffed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your um your championship record like if you look at it, it's always like season's best uh championships. That's like is that something that you think has come from the, the pressure of learning how to deal with pressure at a young age, or is it just something you thrive upon, like um being at championships? Yeah, I think so. I think I always I tend to perform well under pressure, but then I also I think it's also my coaches who have set me up well um, to be able to perform my best at at the major champs. And then I just have that. I just love having the crowd and the extra adrenaline. And there was uh, the one time or the one time that I can particularly remember where I didn't do that well was the individual at London 2017. I let the stage and the crowd get to me and then I underperformed and didn't make out the heats. And that like luckily was able to come back in the relay and and make up for it. But the individual I I let this I that was the one time that I really remember letting the event get to me negatively, whereas the other times I've sort of risen to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Do you reckon that was just because it was on home turf or what do you reckon what do you kind of underpin that one? Yeah, I think it was because it was on home turf. I was obviously the only Brit in the race at the time. So I think consciously I was like, all these eyes are gonna be on me. Whereas yeah. before if I'm running in the like Sean A's in my race and we're in France, then everyone's probably watching Sean A because it's Sean A Miller. Whereas in the UK, although I would still potentially be racing Sean A Miller, the eyes are on me because I'm the local Brit. And I think that was probably what, and I think Ailey spoke about that briefly after London. She said mm-hmm. that she didn't particularly, I think, enjoy London 2012 because of that home sort of like pressure knowing that, yeah, yeah knowing that everyone's looking at you and I totally felt that in London in 2017 and then I guess when you're in a relay you just I made sure that I wasn't going to do it again yeah and there are four of you so well you got world silver medal with. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that um noise in the stadium and that night my god I'd never I couldn't hear you know when if you're running or you're training you got the stadium noise and you can but you can still sort of hear yourself and still hear yourself yeah. breathing yeah. the noise coming around that top bend on on London 2017 was just I couldn't hear myself and I could <laughs> the, the um because I was on the anchor leg coming around the top bend into the home straight the noise got even uh, louder so mm. I thought that was because the Polish girl was coming up my shoulder and about to overtake me because it was Justina Svieti who's yeah. always finishes her races really strong so because the noise was getting louder I thought it was her catching me but I couldn't hear her <laughs> because the noise was so loud and I would just never Sorry. like that race literally <laughs> it was a case of just run and just hope that you just don't end up seeing someone because uh, America and Jamaica were, were far ahead so it was just sort of running blind essentially before and just hoping that you didn't end up seeing her <laughs> mm. yeah we were underneath the stadium at the time and we were like trying not to know how you'd run but it was really? just so loud and i was like well f- shit they've done something and then like all the officials came over like oh do you know they won a medal just like fuck off oh, man. We tried no. not to know. <laughs> i was like <laughs> obviously then you go out and you see you guys there celebrating i was like oh well, they've done something in it yeah. they fucking won a medal so that yeah was, it's uh, one of those that you can't really avoid it can you although you're trying to like make stay calm yeah it's, being uh, the race in front you just can't i quite that. um 
I quite well, it's it's an amazing thing for the for the four by four in the UK, but it's also like I quite enjoyed our mixed relay in Doha. Not that I ran well, but I enjoyed the experience of it. I think uh, you definitely thrived upon it. Like that's probably is that your fastest split you've ever ran? It was like fifty point three or something like that. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think I ran fifty three, fifty point four maybe in the final of that, and yeah, I loved it. I. I love the fact it was something different and having a mixed team, you and Baba, and it was it was different experience. It was it was good. For, I mean, I must admit, I was glad I didn't have any guys on my legs. <laughs> <laughs> so I was yeah. very glad I was in one of the middle legs and didn't have to run against a guy. It might it have was, been different if that had been the case. It's a different thing when you come down the home straight and I could see Sweaty, and I was like, oh shit, I need to catch her. <laughs> like. Da, da, da it's a complete well, yeah, because mindset. she would have been yeah far ahead and you because if you were running with the three guys they probably thought oh i'm in third here forgetting yeah, yeah. that because i forgot that the, the opponents were so far like, ahead who's that official oh no no it's a runner quick catch him <laughs> <laughs> we did all right we got a european record it's all good yeah only probably <laughs> like two tenths oh, shh. Yeah. <laughs> um and then we might get a medal what do you think about nasa uh god <laughs> <No>. <laughs> where do i start <laughs> it's just this it's just the situation of the system for me mm. the fact that because i'm so with my adams i'm so particular that like on the on the little note section because my place up in Loughborough is a new build so the postcode isn't always recognized on everyone's sat naps and i had difficulties with getting deliveries when i first moved so in my like little note session, I've put, this is my postcode, but it's probably best to put this postcode in because it's new. And my building's just above this shop. And if you go right and then you turn around the corner and then my entrance door is in between these two doors and press the buzzer for this number. So I've like really spelled it out to them how they can reach me. So I find it so frustrating when you hear of people that don't do that, but then they can still get away with it. Mm-hmm. That for me is just, it should just, yeah, be the black and white of, you're supposed to tell them where you are you're not there you you get a, a fault yeah filing failure yeah yeah it's black and white sort of thing and there's not all these sort of easy route, routes out of i've seen it's gone to cast now so yeah i saw see. that i yeah. saw that i mean I, I think i did tweet at the time oh i hope this goes to cast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come on but it's world athletics as well who brought it to them so it's not like the aiu mm. it's actually world athletics which is quite good i feel like uh they are i criti- we we all criticize them a lot but i do feel like they're actually they're going after a world champion which is quite impressive like it wouldn't happen in any other sport i guarantee that like other yeah. sports would be like no no it's fine if it's cycling yeah no problem uh or whatever yeah. but um, yeah so i think that's pretty good i think uh we'll see how that goes it shows mm. promise doesn't it that they're actually mm. yeah like you say they they they're going after some big guns and they're not afraid, obviously, with the Christian Coleman thing and everything. It's slightly different, but at least they're um, they're, they're pushing hard to actually make a presence and make a stand to show that nobody yeah. could try and default the system. But then you say that, but then they're only covering their backs for errors that they've already made. Like, she should never have been allowed to compete in Doha having missed yeah. three tests. Yeah. So true. that should have been the the initial like okay no matter who you are you've missed your three tests right that's it you can't compete now until this has been sorted mm-hmm. um, and because I don't know why they don't do that I don't know if it's because oh well they can't ban someone who then turns out to be innocent and then they've missed the world championships 
But then you look at people like us who have, you've let someone compete who then ends up being banned when they could have potentially been banned for that championships. Yet the innocent athletes, the clean athletes at the championships then don't get anything from having someone then be banned from that championship. She might get a medal upgrade, but I don't think Coleman's losing his world champs, world champs gold. So it seems like it's a more protecting, there's more effort put in place for protecting someone who's potentially going to get banned than it is in protecting the clean, innocent athletes that are competing, is my opinion. I think they're just trying to avoid legislation at all time, aren't they? Like they don't want to be paying like back paying an athlete who might have missed out on the championships and but they don't back but pay they us. don't back pay they don't back pay the athletes that get bumped up to a medal because no. someone's that's what I mean. The priority yeah. is not having to back around, pay. Yeah. yeah, it's the wrong way around. Um, and that's frustrating that it's like the protections in place for it's it's the the way it affects your sponsorship or whatever and how it can affect like your exposure to anything yeah i find that the most frustrating thing i think mm. uh, well they've made it a uh, illegal offense in now haven't they in the states is that is that gone through yeah it's, i know it's in germany and i think it's in I, is it denmark or something as well where something similar rule yeah i think i read that it, i think it was in the states it's gone through yeah, yeah there was definitely yeah. a thing recently but it's not in the nba nfl or uh, mm. all those main key sports in the us <laughs> yeah. the money making yeah ones. yeah um sp- talking to sponsors what kit do you wear you wear a pretty unique brand yeah i wear the belgian brand uh 4254 which is designed and owned by two female belgian olympic champions which mm-hmm. i think is pretty cool they've sort of been in the sport themselves won olympic gold in the four by one relay and now have created a brand that's a sustainable brand made by athletes for athletes and I love it. I think it's nice being in kit that, I mean, with all sort of having been a Nike athlete beforehand, you turn up to the track and everyone's in the same kit mm. and they don't have that same sort of personal relationship with, with you as the athlete because they've got hundreds of athletes on their books. Whereas these guys, they're new, they're, they're fresh and they've got sort of like helping athletes and getting their brand out there. And I, I don't know, I, I like being able to sort of wear and support a brand that I think is doing good things and it's nice to have a brand that's out there that's doing good things like that she uh it's um Olivia Borley isn't it and uh, yeah oh, I can't remember the girl's name who's the other girl Elodie Elodie yes yeah, so they won the medal together in the four by one in, in Beijing, Beijing. yeah and the time was 42 54 that's it yeah and they won a they got a national it's a national um record nice I yes. believe, yeah. So that's, 52, 54. That's so like so refreshing as well, isn't it? To I know you were with Nike for a, for a, for a long time. Um, so yeah, to like I didn't realize that at all that that, mm. that that you weren't with Nike anymore and that you were with a completely different brand. Yeah, and actually, I've I've had like people come up to me like, oh, what, what kit this? I'm like, oh, it's this cool like Belgian brand. Like, go check it out, kind of thing. Um, so I think because it is different and it's not something that you see every day at the track normally because it's a new brand and stuff it's nice to be able to to wear something a bit different quite fashionable yeah it is i've been in vogue and and had celebs wearing it in vogue and stuff so that's cool yeah probably more fashionable than i am (laughs) emily (laughs) (laughs) no you're right yeah (laughs) you like the leopard track (laughs) 
that's it. Um, I don't know if uh, if you've seen recently. I'm kind of talking the tenuous link. Um, there's an article that Steph Reed has re- uh, written recently. It was, I think it was in Times or Telegraph or something. Like that. It's the Guardian, I think. And uh, she was talking about um, why isn't testing done on 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 female elite athletes? Why is it always male uh, elite athletes? I don't know if it's something that you'd read uh, or you'd seen. Like, is that something that needs to be addressed? Obviously, we've seen tests going on in Loughborough on elite sprinters, and we've seen um, they're talking. It's like Rob Mill- Rob Miller doing his tests on bums. <laughs> was there women on that? Do we know? I haven't been involved in this test. Um, did you know anything about that, Dan? Um, I think uh, I'm not sure. Like, I know it was a lot of I'm men. Not, I couldn't say. Yeah, um, I think there were some. Uh, yeah, some women um, tested on that. So they did a test, and it was to do with like how do you generate. How can you tell if someone's going to be an elite sprinter? And it basically came down to the size of your natural bum. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there was women on that as well. But um, what do we think that needs to be done in what kind of testing can be done that would uh, help elite women perform at a better level? Is there anything uh, you think? Of? I think the thing that I've thought of recently or thought of more recently is the whole menstrual cycle and periods and the effect that that can have on performance. I know Jazz Sawyers has spoken about that in the past and it's always been quite a taboo subject. And even now, like if I was needing to have, if I was having a dodgy training session because I knew I was coming onto my period or I had to go and see the doctor to, for whatever. And I would sort of go out to bank and be like, Oh, um, thank you. So it's, that time of the month at the moment and you sort of think oh how how are they going to take this and how do I phrase this and it's it's just that awkward subject they don't really know how to breach and in terms of like looking at contraception and things like that there are so many different forms of contraception for women but there's barely any research in how the different contraception affects elite performance and sport you could talk to a doctor or a gynecologist and be like, okay, so I've got this option or this option that I'm thinking between. How is that going to affect me when I'm trying to sprint 400 meters? Or is that is either one of those going to affect my hamstring strength coming into when I'm on my period? And people just don't know because it's just not, the information isn't out there and it's not available. And a lot of athletes have said before that I think it's sort of known that you're more prone to injury in the sort of weak buildup to your to your period. But there's no sort of thought of, okay, well, is that, why is that? Is there a bit of your contraception that you've, of your choice that you've, that is playing a part in that? And it's just not really known. And that, I think that's something that is still so new and there needs to be so much more research into that. So athletes can have like a proper informed choice when they're trying mm-hmm. to work out what's the best choice for them. Yeah, because you go at the moment you're going off what is out there of just sort of like oh, this one might give you a spotty skin or this yeah. one might make you gain weight okay well that's not ideal if that's for performance but spotty skin doesn't really affect your 400 meter time but it'd be better if it was like okay so this one can reduce your hamstring strength or your hamstring flexibility by four percent for a week every month and you think okay well that might not be ideal but there's just not that information out there it's uh it's something that steph like she highlighted going into a championships we um we're all we're obsessed with the term marginal gains so like why is this research not being done why is it not something that we could really capitalize especially within the uk and we have all 
if we're based in Loughborough, you have all the research labs on site. Like it should be something that's kind of uh, we could take advantage of. It's something obviously I don't. I, I'm not Kate, my wife. Um, yeah, it's, I, it's still not something I would know a lot about. Like I just knew like it. She it got in the way of her training sometimes, and I don't think she had the right coaching setup. Probably similar where it's kind of like an awkward conversation or someone who just doesn't want to know about it kind of thing. It's kind of a, it's a different conversation. I think we, mm-hmm. men's sport is, is well catered for and researched. I think, uh, I, I'm assuming like all data is based off of a lot of male athletes because of scientists might find it easier to test male athletes. Something yeah. that needs to be changed. I think that's something that we could work on, especially within the next couple of years. Uh, I think British athletics has the opportunity to do it. UK sport has the funds. Yeah. I do across. think it needs it needs to be a a more focused area that that hasn't really been broadly looked into to date mm-hmm. um and like we've had like a few emails coming around like oh leading up to the olympics like we're looking at sports bras and which sports bra might be best for your performance i'm thinking sport like that's not really an issue for me let's be honest um I'd rather the the effort and and money go into how it how I can sort of manage a period at the Olympic Games not whether my boobs are being supported but um <laughs> I guess it would help some people more than others have you, I, have yeah. you ever had like an instance where your periods maybe affected your performance and you've like and you've thought oh what about if it happens at a major champs or has, has that ever occurred yeah so I mean I'm like pretty open with the topic I don't really mind talking about it so back when I first started I was on a pill where I would have like a, a three weeks on the pill and then I'd have a week off and that's when I would have a period but then managing that you'd be like okay right well if I have my break now that means three weeks time oh damn it that's the national championships okay well that's I don't really want to be on my period at the national championship so I'll miss that break and then three weeks time later oh then it's a world junior championship so that's not ideal really either so managing that was difficult being on the pill and I think when I was younger I did I pulled my hamstring a few fair few times in that week building up to my my break and my period Mm -hmm. and I didn't really make the connection back then again because you didn't really speak about it but I know Kelly Southerton's mentioned in the past that she would always reduce her training when she was competing the week leading up to her period because she knew she was more at risk of hurting herself so her and her coach had that sort of relationship where they were fully aware of the state that she was in yeah. and was able to reduce that training beforehand. It's so, it's difficult, but it's just one of those things that I guess you just have to not be afraid to talk about it with your coach. And the more you talk about it, the more normal it's going to be. Whereas if you shy away from it, then the more awkward it's going to be. What advice would you give to a young athlete now, a young female athlete? How would you encourage them to communicate with their coach about these kind of issues? I think it's just, I think embarrassment is a key thing why people don't talk about it. Yeah. And it's, I can totally understand that, especially as a young female athlete, you don't necessarily want people knowing that you're on your period. But it's so natural that mm. your, if your coach is female, she's going to have one too. Like even if your coach is male, they might have daughters, sisters, a wife, a girlfriend. Like they're going to, it's just an, such a natural thing that happens to, 50% of the population that it's not doesn't need to be something that's embarrassing to talk about and the less the more you talk about it like I say the less embarrassing it comes and you just think oh yeah coach by the way if I'm a bit off today it's because I'm I'm on my period or I'm coming onto my period 
And then that conversation is done. You almost don't really need to say anything else if you don't want to. But I think that was one thing that Jared was really good at because he's got obviously a wife and, and two daughters that he always said to me, look, don't feel embarrassed to tell me, like, just let me know. And then we can adapt training to, to fit. Um, and I think because he was like that with me now, with Benki or or with my physio or whoever, I'm like, oh, yeah, by the way, they be like, oh, you might, you're looking a bit flat today. I was like, oh, yeah, it's because I'm on my period. <laughs> like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> but it's just one of those things, I think. And the, like I said, the more you talk about it, the the less awkward it becomes. Yeah, I think being honest and open about it. And like, it's just like you said, 50% of the population do it. Why is it a taboo? Probably the first time we've talked about it on the pod. I don't think we've ever talked about it before, have we, done? No. And and it's it is those marginal gains, isn't it? And like you say about the timing of it and mm. the managing of it. And it's something that is pretty it takes it takes quite a lot of your life and and um yeah, like you say, you, you some days when you you know, a couple of weeks of training when you're actually flying and everything and then it could be dictated by by that one week of your period and you just think, Oh, do you know what? Like, and it sets you back and it's mindset again, preparation and and everything. And yeah, there should be more well, I'm surprised there's not more research into it. It's quite astounding really. Hopefully there's like as the years go on there'll be more things coming out with it. What what's the what's the future hold for Emily Diamond? Hopefully a more successful two thousand twenty one than uh twenty twenty. Two thousand and twenty one, is that right? Yeah, twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one, two thousand and twenty one. Try and make a another Olympic team. Are you gonna do another medal? Are you gonna just keep going until your body falls apart or are you gonna have you got a plan for that or Yeah, I think so. I think I've always said that I'll just keep going until either my times drop off or my body drops off, or whichever one goes first. Um, or if I just stop enjoying it. Uh, I, at the moment, I'm I'm still loving it, and I'm enjoying my training, and I'm looking forward to racing. I think once that goes, then that's time. But it's, it's difficult because it's one of those things where there's always something. You think, oh, well, I'll go to 2021. Oh, but 2022 is a home Commonwealth Games again. And then think, oh, well, okay, I'll go to 2022. And it's like, oh, well, 2023 is a world champs. And then the year after that is the Olympics. So there's always the next major championships that we have. So, yeah, I'll go for as long as I can, I think. If, if it's going well, why stop? If you've got a good training group, if you've got people around you who are like make it fun or whatever, and you've obviously got like a young athlete in Charlie there as well, you can kind of watch develop and stuff. That must be quite exciting to see a young talent coming through like when you're training with them. Yeah, and Char- Charlie is so talented I watched him um at the European Juniors must have been a couple of years ago two or three years ago now and I thought he was going to win it and I think he ended up coming second but um yeah that kid is he's gonna win Olympic medals and he needs to be involved in the four by four yeah he's quick and he he likes to remind us that he's almost 10 years younger than the rest of the group (laughs) which keeps us on our toes (laughs) that's it he's a bright kid Um, yeah yeah he is Charlie and I think uh when I was saying earlier about like the opportunities in the 200, like he's probably one of the only guys who has the natural ability to get into that top three. Out of, yeah. But this, it's just like, it's unfortunate that men's 200 is like, you've got seven guys who can run sub 2020 or something like that. And the opportunities that aren't there, whereas the 400, like he, he opened, he ran one 400, ran 45, eight in Loughborough. Didn't really know what he's doing. So it'd be interesting. Like he jogged most of the way. I said, oh, yeah. Charlie, are you at least trying in, in that 400? <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, well, I definitely tried for at least 100 metres. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <Dead>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I think he, like, he's, he's working hard, but it just looks so easy and natural to him. He's just got one of those styles. Um, where can we get you on social media? And is there anything we should be looking out for for you at the moment? Uh, I guess my Instagram and Twitter is my, my social media. I haven't moved over to TikTok yet. I think i'm getting too old for that but yeah instagram and whoa, whoa, whoa. daniel have you got tiktok no i've deleted it mate i, <laughs> I did i did i did one post and then felt felt like a granddad so i was like nah this is not for me to be fair like i enjoy watching it i just can't bring myself to i tried one dance move for fun and thought nah this is not happening <laughs> <laughs> this is not my skill base people will be liking this for comedy value and i do not want that <laughs> yeah exactly so thanks so much for coming on it's um it's been absolutely fascinating listening to your stories and and that um i think we should we always like to end on some kind of motivation or inspiration so what advice would you give to a young emily diamond just starting her athletics career uh my favorite quote that i have written on all my like training i have written on a card whenever i compete and stuff is um never ever ever give up which is what jared said to me just before I went out to run in my first four by four and we ended up getting a bronze medal. So that quote has stuck with me for the rest of my career. Yeah. So I like that. I like that. Yeah. Kind of, uh, that's a nice way to finish it. Yeah. Emily, thank you very much. Cheers guys. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time and we'll see you at the track very soon. What a lovely girl. That was a great part to listen listen to some of her stories and advice. Um, Obviously, we know really well at the track and stuff, but hopefully you enjoyed listening and we definitely enjoyed enjoyed what Emily had to say there. Yeah, um, it was great to have uh, have her on and to gain some experience from her and uh, like just find out about where she got a competitive edge. Um, that pressure thing as a child was something that playing tennis I didn't know she was a tennis player so that's uh, that's great to know and um, hopefully you've learned a lot about Emily Diamond as well uh, if you want to check us out at GRS podcast on Instagram uh, at Discus Dan and at Martin Rooney on all platforms and if you'd like to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts yes <laughs> um, we will be back um again very soon with another guest and um, some more podcasts so please like and subscribe and um we'll speak to you very soon Bye.